0: Um, We are walking through Galatians The letter from Paul to the Galatians And um, this is actually our last week doing that So if you are visiting, you came at the right time You're getting the wrap up Which means that, I mean, essentially You could have skipped over the past 20 weeks And just showed up today and you're going to get it all You're going to get the summary Not at all Um, I would encourage you to go back and, and listen to Some of the really good teaching that we've had um, since the beginning of August, coming out of Galatians, um, but this will be our final week in that letter and you know this this is a letter that was written from Paul to the people of Galatia. They initially learned about the gospel from Paul, so he 's got a personal vested interest in making sure that they continue to grow not only in their faith but in in their ongoing interpretation of what it was that Jesus did, and why, how it affects their, their lives. Um, I think that's really important. Now, I'll, I'll let you know, we are going to turn to the text, and so there are some Bibles down um, kind of at, close to the center aisle, and so if you need a Bible, um, please ask someone for that. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love for, for you to take that one. That's our gift to you. Um, but we're going to be, as I mentioned, in Galatians in chapter 6 today. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. You hear a sermon, or maybe you read some Christian literature, and in the moment, it makes a lot of sense. It's really clear. And then, maybe it's days, or weeks, or even months, but a little bit later, a crisis arises, or a conflict arises, and you go, oh, wait a minute, how does that thing that I learned back then, how does that relate to this? I don't know if you've ever had had that moment, maybe it's... Maybe it's just me. How does, it, how does what the teacher said, how does that affect my decision-making today? And, you know, in particular, I think about our, our students at Trinity, and we have a lot. And I don't mean like the, uh, just our grad students and what have you, college students. I mean, um, you know, K through 12 students. Because it's one thing, right, if you're a student, if you're a young person with us, to come on Sunday mornings and you hear a lesson and you're surrounded by people who are also interested in learning more about Jesus. That's, that's one thing, and that's a beautiful thing, and we're so thankful for it. But it's another thing that in less than 24 hours from now, many of you are going to walk into a school with hundreds of other students with different opinions and worldviews. They have different priorities. The thing that's important to us on Sunday may not be important to them Monday through Friday at your schools. And so what does the gospel mean for you then? Right? That's something that I think students in particular are, are thinking about. They're, just, they're confronted with that every day. Even more complicating, not just for students but for all of us, is, is if you hear instruction from one person claiming to be a Christian and then it directly contradicts the instruction from another Christian. Right? What are we, what are we to, to do with that? How do we move forward with that? And these issues are not unique to us. These are exactly the types of issues that the Galatians were dealing with. And, and so it's a reason that I like this letter a lot. It, in some ways, it's a book about the fundamentals, meaning you know, church, uh, uh, Paul is writing to a church of relatively new Christians who are now, some years later, without their primary teacher, They're hearing from other teachers, and they're trying to make sense of Christian living. And in that in that way, it's not too different from our own experience. And so, back in August, the beginning of August, Matt started this sermon series, saying that this letter would answer a series of questions. The, The two of those core questions were: What does the gospel mean for who you are? And what does the gospel mean for how you live? Those were two of the core questions. And many of these questions are, are, you know, not only relevant just to Christians, but they are relevant to people who don't claim to be Christians, who aren't Christians. And if that's you, I hope you're considering these same types of issues this morning. What does the gospel say? What does this Bible say about who I am? And what does it say about how I live? That's something that's applicable to you, regardless of whether or not you currently claim Christ. Matt likes to say at the beginning of a sermon series that that first day, and long Trinity members will know this, that first day is like syllabus day. He likes to use that metaphor, which would technically make today like the final exam. Um, and so I thought, well, that's... People start heading for the exits. Uh, I, it, to me, it's less of a final exam, and it's really more of a closing argument. Right. Instead... Uh, that's the analogy that, that I think makes more sense to me anyway. It's what does the gospel mean for me, for who we are, how we live? And Paul is going to state and restate his answer as plainly as possible. Like, Here's what the gospel means, period. That's what he's going to do in the verses where we explore today. And I'm going to make two main arguments. Put really simply, don't take pride in external Markings, external signs, don't take pride in those. They don't make you a Christian. That's the first point. The second point, boast only in the cross. Okay, so for those of you taking notes, that's only two points. I hope you don't feel short-changed. Um, I, ha- I will have lots of sub-points, so you'll get your money's worth. Um, but again, that first point, the th- I'll put it a different way. The things you do don't make you a Christian. The things you do don't make you a Christian. And the second point is that the work of salvation is God's. It is God's alone. Nothing you can do can overshadow the work that God has already graciously done when Jesus gave himself up willingly on the cross. Those are the two points. We're going to dig into those points. We're going to hit them. We're going to try to come at them from a few different angles. And that's going to close our time in Galatians. So these themes are present even in the closing verses. We've been reading about them for weeks now. And so let's turn to the verses. I I would ask that you would stand with me as we read from Galatians chapter 6. These are verses 11 through 18. And stand with me in honor of God's word. Paul writes, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised That they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. You can be seated. So the first thing to notice is how Paul opens this final paragraph. He says, see how I'm writing in large letters? Right. It's a, it's a way for him um, in, in text to underline the font so to speak right to highlight it he says don't miss this point these are not throwaway verses that you can skip over because we're at the end of the letter pay attention paul uses sharp language really several times in this letter and now he is kind of at a boiling point right he's at a boiling point because what's at stake is nothing less than the souls of all who hear and read this letter it's a big deal So I mentioned the first point that I want to cover today is that the things that you do don't make you a Christian. And I don't know, I don't know how that immediately strikes you. I don't know if that sounds controversial or not, honestly. Maybe, maybe I suspect that at an intellectual level, it's not that controversial, but I'd ask you to consider it more practically, right? Consider it maybe from the position of someone asking the question, hey, what does it take to be a Christian? What does it take to be a Christian? And that's really the situation that Paul's readers would have been in. This isn't a group of long-time Christian theologians. Right? I mean, frankly, we're, we're in like the year 60 AD. So there are no long-time Christians at this point. But it's not so much a, a question of spiritual maturity or theology that, that is at issue. What's at issue, there's, a, there's an actual crisis point. There is a certain group of people been referred to many times over the past few months called the Judaizers right the Judaizers so this is a group of people that claim to believe in Jesus Christ, but they were preoccupied with maintaining this adherence to Old Testament laws right? These are the Old Testament laws that had been given by God to the people of Israel and this group the Judaizers is is um, placing an inordinate amount of emphasis on following these rules. And so specifically, you can read it in verse 12. You read that the Judaizers are trying to force members of the church to undergo the Mosaic practice of circumcision. And if you're new to reading the Bible, yes, we're talking about that kind of circumcision. This is not like some spiritual thing. Um, And if you were here a few weeks ago, you might remember how frustrated Paul is with these people in chapter five. He says, (laughs) "He says, I wish those who unsettle you about the practice of circumcision would emasculate themselves." Yeesh! I just let that sink in for a minute. It's a a new insult, right? Um, Paul is clearly frustrated, and why is he so frustrated about this? It's not just the practice itself. Yes, what they're saying and doing, it absolutely, we believe, it was causing division within the church. That's a that's a bad thing. But more fundamental is that what this group, this group called the Judaizers, what they are doing could be characterized as Jesus plus. And we've talked about this concept at length during the series because it's so important. Right. So remember I said that we're in this bullet point that the things we do don't make us Christian. And so that... That begs the question, well, what does make a Christian? Well, we believe that that while we were sinners, that Jesus, the Son of God, took on our sin, died for each of us according to his own will. He rose again to defeat death for all time. And we believe that our faith in these facts will unite us with God in heaven forever. Now, to be clear, do some of those clauses that I just said, do they require some unpacking? For sure. For sure. If you have been through our new member class at Trinity, you know that we spend a lot of time really digging into some of those phrases. They may not be immediately apparent, right? There's a lot to dissect. What does it mean to really appreciate my own sin? What if I still have doubts um, uh, amidst my faith in Jesus, Totally valid questions, but w- note something that I did not say. I did not say, oh, we believe all these things, and by the way, we think you need to undergo a medical procedure, right? That, but that's in effect what the Judaizers were saying. Let me, let me maybe bring it up into 2019 a little bit, because this might be something more relevant. If someone tells you that to be a Christian, a person needs to believe in Christ crucified and be baptized, you need to stop them and tell them to read Paul's letter to the Galatians. Being baptized doesn't make you a Christian. Neither does reading your Bible, going to church, Serving the poor, wearing modest clothes, staying sober, staying celibate, or making Chick-fil-A your family's favorite ordained restaurant. Right? These things are fine, especially the chicken nuggets. But they can't save us. Right? These things don't do the saving work that Christ on the cross does. Paul is also frustrated that this group, the Judaizers, that they aren't merely mistaken about some practices of the church. Right? He believes really that they're trying to manipulate the situation to make themselves look better. Did you, did you catch that? He says that they would force this practice on others so that they may not be persecuted, so that they could avoid persecution. And scholars differ about what that persecution might have looked like. Um, specifically because it's unclear how non-Jews who believe in Jesus would have avoided persecution um, through this Jewish practice. It's just un- it's unclear, honestly, and so the scholarship is divided about this. But the fact remains, you've got a group of people who are either trying to avoid punishment or receive praise by adding things to the centrality of the cross. That's, that's really the point. I already mentioned that we need, we need to run away from people who would add things to the gospel, claiming that those things are necessary elements of spiritual salvation. And and the Judaizers, they were doing that, right? They were adding to the gospel. But they were not only adding to the gospel, they had these impure motives. They were using the gospel, they were using these practices to add to the gospel, package it together, and they were trying to use that as entrance kind of into the cool kids club. Now, that's a reason that Paul was so indignant. And from where we sit in 2019, I think that's something we have to be really careful about. I think we've got to be really careful about showcasing our Christian lifestyle in a way that's self-serving. So here's here's a couple examples. I will not ask for a show of hands. Do you listen? I'm a, a... I don't know if a podcaster or somebody who makes podcasts or listen to them. I listen to them. I don't know how to make them. Um, I like listening to podcasts. But do you listen to uh, raunchy podcasts during the week and pump contemporary Christian music on Sundays and show how pious you are? Do you do to show how pious you are? Are you a, a, maybe you're an actual, maybe you're a fledgling Christian lifestyle social media influencer? Right, that, by the way, that is a thing. Okay, sometimes feel like there's a, a Christian social media toolkit that I missed out on, and it comes with um, like auto-generated psalms written in cursive, set against nature backgrounds. Right, you get one of those letter boards, and you can swap the language, and you write "Too blessed to be stressed." It's a way to say, though, here's the point, right? It's in jest, but it's a way to say, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Look at Jesus. Now back to me. Right? That's, that's in part what it looks like, what it might look like, to use the principles and use the banner of Jesus for our own popularity, for our own gain, to try to manipulate the situation so that we are more in the eyes of other people. And if you think that Christians are um, immune from that, think again. We are absolutely subject to that. So the challenge then, when either taking actions that you feel to, because you feel compelled by your faith, or when invoking your faith publicly, because that's not a bad thing necessarily, but the challenge is to ask whether you are adding to the gospel or, and to ask whether you are trying to elevate yourself. This is one of the reasons that Christian community is so important. We need people in our lives who can lovingly rebuke us and challenge us and tell us when we've gone astray. Right? Many of the things that I just mentioned, I know we, we get a laugh, but they are... Many of them are totally appropriate, and there's beautiful ways to do it. And social media, please, tell somebody about Jesus on social media. But tell them about Jesus because they need to hear about Jesus. Don't tell them about Jesus because they need to hear about you. So do yourself a favor. Ensure that you are surrounded by people who can help you check your motives. Two quick things before we move on to the second point. So here's your sub points under, under that first. If it's true that the things that we do don't make us Christian, does that mean that what we do doesn't matter? Right? Does it mean that what we do doesn't matter? I think that's a, it's a logical question. Is my advice today then go ahead and sin because we're no longer under the control of the law? Well, not at all. Paul tells the Galatians that because they and all of us who are Christians, we are now alive with Christ and we are empowered to walk by God's own spirit. And there are clear fruits of the spirit. We talked about that. You can go back and hear that sermon. Love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness, right? goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, self control, these are the characteristics that we should expect Christians to evidence in their lives. Right, so it doesn't mean just do whatever do whatever you want. We should be seeking out that evidence. We should expect to see it by God's grace. That's the first thing. The second thing, and this is something that you might tell a person in your life who's placing an inordinate amount of importance on these so-called laws and rules as a substitute for Jesus himself. Earlier in the letter, Paul makes it clear that the law, it doesn't come to set us free. The law, it does quite the opposite because no one can meet all the requirements. The law was added because of our transgressions, right? That is, we need the law, needed the law to help keep things straight. If anything, the laws are a reminder of our inability to live a perfect life. We will never, friends, find freedom under the law. Only condemnation. Not to mention, the law doesn't tell us what we're supposed to do once we're following the law. That's a really important point. In that respect, it's just not super helpful. So put it like this. If if the Galatians followed the Judaizers' rules, then what? They'd be free to ostensibly follow more rules. And so... Laws beget laws, and rules beget rules. And what's the point in that? That's not why we were put on earth in God's image. More valuable, then, is what Paul says the gospel frees us to do. That's in Galatians 5. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That's it. The Judaizers, they were called false, false brothers earlier in this letter because what they were doing was for selfish motives. They wanted to impose these unnecessary constraints on the Galatian church, and we reject that. Instead, you can know your real brothers and sisters in Christ because their lives will be oriented towards service of others, flowing from the love of Jesus and faith in him. Right, and so that, that's really our first main point, that the things we do don't make us Christian. The laws, the rules, the practices, those don't save. Only Christ does that work. And after the work is done, then finally we're free to love others. Then finally we're free to serve others without having to look back over our shoulder and, and worry if somebody's coming after us. We can give that up. So I want to turn to the second point then. The Judaizers' mistake, it wasn't just one of overemphasizing you know, certain actions or, or being self-serving. Like those, those, are, those would be enough, right? There's a sermon there. The bigger mistake is substituting the work of human hands for something only God can do. That's the bigger mistake. It's a deeper point, right? Because if it, if it flips, if we flip our role and God's role in the work of salvation, then the entire gospel is lost. And that's the real risk if the people in Galatia or we today start adding to the uniqueness of the cross. The risk is that we flip our role and flip God's role. And so our second major point this morning is that the work of salvation is God's alone that nothing you can do can overshadow the work God graciously did when Jesus went to the cross on our behalf. Earlier in this letter, Paul, he immediately opens by invoking the authority by which he wrote. He, he wrote as an apostle through Christ and God the Father. And he does this for a few reasons. He does it to establish his credentials, kind of saying, oh, you know, here's why I'm capable, why I'm able Uh, to be here. But another reason he does it is to remind the church members that the prime mover in this story is God, not Paul. For folks who were with us during our Exodus uh, sermon series, that was a theme that we touched on a lot, that it wasn't It wasn't Moses and the staff. That's not the stuff that was the most important. It seems pretty spectacular, and indeed it was spectacular, but God was the primary mover. So too here. God is the primary mover. And to be sure, Paul plays a major role in spreading the good news of Jesus across the world. But the work of the gospel, the saving work, that's not Paul's work. That's not Paul's job. That's not Paul's expertise. That's God. That's God. And that's something we, we try to remember here at Trinity. I, I think I know I can speak um, on behalf of the other elders um, here to say that, you know, we take our time together, especially on Sundays, very seriously. We're trying to faithfully teach. Uh, we're trying to steer people to faith in Christ. But I'd be lying if I said that there isn't a very human pressure and insecurity that I think we all feel. Because right? we don't want to get this wrong. The teaching and the preaching and the decisions about childcare and all of it. Right, baptism, all of it. We don't want to get it wrong. We need to be reminded that ultimately God is the prime mover. The work he does, he does in spite of us. We are so privileged to be a part of it. Part of me hopes that, of course, you really enjoy this sermon and that I get so many likes downloaded so many times. At the very least, I hope you're not offended. But really, what the elders hope, what I hope this morning, is that we can faithfully present the gospel in a way that doesn't get in God's way, right? Because when he moves, he doesn't need our help. That's what we're trying to do. So too, Paul is reminding the Galatians that the work of salvation was done by Christ on the cross. He's trying to get out of the way, right? He's trying to remind them that that if we could have saved ourselves by adhering to the law, then Christ's death is pointless. And that, that is why the Judaizers are so dangerous. So let's, we're going to dig in a little bit here. By emphasizing circumcision it wasn't just that the Judaizers were at odds with some of Paul's understanding about practices, right? They are at odds with the cross itself. Here's why. Because the cross assigns salvation to the Lord, while what they were doing focuses on human behavior. Right? That, and that's the piece that we're going to unpack a little bit. And I, um, I'll tell you, I feel... <clears throat> especially well suited to to dive into this uh, this piece because this is the intersection of our performance and how it relates to what jesus did on the cross right our performance and i don't don't mean um, our performance like a like a theatrical performance right i mean um, our achievement that's what i mean when i say our performance it's a number three on your enneagram bingo card that's what I mean by performance. I'm a number three. I'm like dialed all the way up to 11 on number three. I am also in generation X. Um, and you're like, oh, what does that mean? Well, I'm, I'm glad you ask, and welcome to my TED Talk. <clears throat> Take note. Here's what it means. It means that after the so-called greatest generation and the OK boomers, that we came on the scene, and we did. We, Generation X, did a few things, including, I don't know, making the internet useful and reducing global poverty and um, video games and the Women's World Cup. I don't know. Seems kind of cool. You want to talk about performance? We figured out how to mass-produce performance-enhancing drugs. That's, perform- that's commitment to performance. <laughs> Thank you for attending my therapy session <laughs> right we also generation x we incessantly make ranking lists mostly so that we can be on our own lists like we 're committed to performance right so I was thrilled i 'll say a few years ago when um, I was alerted that I would be on one of these lists right I would be on nashville 's own forty under forty list, and I was felt so good about myself and the 72 people who would read that article <clears throat> and then just uh this week in fact my my wife i said get your you know i told you earlier i said get yourself somebody who will you know keep you honest and i have that person she's beautiful she's my wife and she said hey by the way did you see uh, what happened to drew I said, oh, yeah, I did. Of course I saw what happened to Drew, my friend Drew, who he wasn't named to 40 under 40. He was named to the Forbes 30 under 30. So he not only went global, he did it 10 years ahead of me. right? So it was a good reminder that your performance, my performance is really not that big of a deal. And let me tell you something else. You know how many people I remember from last year's Forbes 30 under 30? 0. And certainly not the the 30 under 30 before that. 0. In verse 15, Paul says that that neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. All those actions, all the things that I just listed, the lists of the lists of the list, those don't count at all when God looks at us to see if we've earned the right to be with him in a new kingdom. The accomplishments and the accolades are meaningless when stacked against the fact that on a daily basis, our sin offends the God of the universe. So if you are like me, you need to check yourself. If you're like me, you can at least identify I think you're penchant for performance. But that means if you're not, if you're subconsciously trying to earn your way into God's favor by your actions, hear me, you can't. You simply can't do it. And Paul makes it very clear in the second chapter of this letter that we are saved by faith in Jesus alone, not by the works of our hands. He says that because of our faith in Jesus Christ, even non-jews might receive the blessing of abraham a blessing to be the favored people of god and there's another side of the performance coin that i want to address because that may not resonate with you that doing doing lots of seemingly good things to earn god's favor that that may not be who you are and and praise god you may be in a place though where it's pretty obvious that what you're doing or what you've done would only bring on shame and scorn or maybe maybe you feel like nothing you do is very good at all if that's you there's a temptation to think that your performance or lack thereof creates too much separation between you and God and here's what you've got to know you've got to think of the best person you know and realize that they are no more deserving of the cross than you. You stand on the exact same ground as them and Christ's blood covers you too. Nothing you've ever done, nothing you could do will outdo Christ's work on the cross. Right, you too can be a new creation in Jesus. And so... What, what I'm calling for, right, is a shift in our perspective, a shift that allows us to appreciate just how easy it is to overvalue our actions. When, when we believe that our good efforts will save us or that our bad efforts will prevent the Lord from saving us, we're subject to the same fallacy as the Judaizers, right? We are effectively denying the necessity of Jesus' death on the cross, it's, it's the simplicity of that need that we need Jesus' death on the cross that is going to be offensive to the world and it's going to be countercultural. and and here's why. For the believer, there's ultimate salvation in the cross. But what it requires, I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way And and I'm borrowing this from a Someone that I that I read. It requires that we share in Christ's humiliation. That was a really helpful way for me to think about it. And that's where we're going to finish today, by thinking about how our allegiance with Jesus on the cross, how it's both important and it's also so scandalous. All right, so to do that, we're going to go back into the text. If you've still got it open, we're going to look look there at verse fourteen and Paul contrasts boasting in the work of human hands by saying that instead he will boast in nothing else but the cross of Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to him and he to the world. And I think the first part of that verse is is probably easy enough to to understand. We've been talking about um, the cross of Christ. But being crucified to the world and it to us, that requires more analysis. Right, so, of course, the first question is, why boast it all? Well, for those of us that call ourselves Christians, I mean, the cross is the dawn of a new age with new rules. No longer is the law of Moses this you know, supposed key to righteous living and unity with God. After thousands of years of that not working, Jesus does on the cross what couldn't have been accomplished by any other person throughout history. There was no other perfect person. No one could, with fidelity, adhere to every part of the law. Only Jesus did. Jesus bridges that gap between us and God by taking our sin and killing it as he killed himself on the cross. Right? And that's the scandalous part, too. It's because when we look at the cross, we're looking at a man who lived a perfect life, and we know that he is up there on that cross, effectively looking at us. And we are the reason that he's up there. He's dying a gruesome death because of us. Not just for us, because of us. And I, and I don't want us to... to if you have a desire to kind of squirm away from that I don't want to let you I want to hold you right here because it's not just us collectively it is me it is you this isn't a collective kind of global sin this is a personal element it's because of me it's because of you and there's a shame there to think it's my fault that that person is being punished There's a shame, and rightfully so. And that's what Paul means when he says that he is crucified to the world. When he faithfully claims Christ, he's saying to the world, I deserve to be up there. I deserve all the scorn and shame. You can throw at me because I have not lived according to God's will. But Paul also says that the world has been crucified. And that's kind of an interesting turn of phrase. And here's why it's because the cross kills the old person and introduces a new reality right the life he now lives in the flesh he lives through faith in the Son of God, not by faith in the works of his own hands. Paul was I mean Paul is like an honorary uh, Gen Xer number three for sure he is a distinguished uh, citizen and if accomplishments could create righteousness in the eyes of God, Paul would have been pretty high on the list. But he knows that mercifully Christ died for him. Christ took Paul's and he takes mine and he takes your worldly desires and sins and he crucifies them on the cross. And that's what it means to say that the world has been crucified to Paul. All that stuff goes and it dies on the cross and in its, in its place is restored a new creation. And it's then in these effects that Paul boasts, and he says, What's more, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And this, is a, this I think, is a great line, and it accomplishes a few things. It's really packed with meaning. All right, first, there's the literal meaning. I mean, Paul has been absolutely abused. Some might say tortured, because he proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the time he wrote this letter to the Galatians, Paul has been stoned, jailed, beaten, received the lashes, left in the streets and who knows what else so there's a sense in which he would say to the folks calling for circumcision, hey haven't I been through enough and it's all been for the sake of the gospel friends it's kind of like a you're going to talk to me about the markings on my body for the sake of the gospel, come on man Like, I've got the marks. I've got the bruises to show. And the second meaning, I think, is more figurative. And you might hear it with a tone of confidence. This is the same man, remember, who in his letter to the Romans wrote, if God is for us, who can be against us? This is the confidence of knowing what's really at stake. And he isn't afraid of the threats of men. Effectively, it's saying, this, this, this won't trouble me because I'm with Jesus. Don't talk to me about, the marking, about marking my body in this way or that because I'm with a guy who bears the marks of nails in his hands and feet. Unless we're talking about those marks, we're not talking about marks. Do not trouble me. So what then are the implications for us today boasting in the cross as Paul did in bearing the marks of Jesus? And this really is where I want to want to close. You might you might be asking yourself like should I then expect something similar? The answer is yes. In some ways yes. Remember I said the cross ushered in a new reality. Well, when Jesus gave us gave himself up for us on the cross. The relevance of the Old Testament law changed forever. And instead of physically showing our allegiance with God's kingdom, we're changed in a new way. We're changed internally. Our heart is with Jesus. And do we believe that one day we're going to have new heavenly bodies? Yeah, for sure. But the biggest change now, today, is that our heart and our mind and our spirit have changed. They've been oriented towards God, because of what Jesus did. So we should, therefore, expect to bear marks that come as a result of proclaiming, either by word or with our actions, the cross of Christ. And, and I want to give a few examples of some marks that, that I know people bear because they proclaim Jesus. I know a man who didn't pursue the unending accumulation of material wealth because he felt called instead to invest resources in the church and in other ministries. Those are marks. Those are marks because of who he was in Christ. I know kids who, who don't make the same actions as their peers, the same actions that are otherwise normal normal, fine things, and they don't do them because they're trying to obey their parents according to the Bible's commands. Those are bearing some marks. That's proclaiming Jesus. I know a single woman who gave up the companionship of a seemingly healthy romantic relationship because it became clear that the man she was dating didn't believe in the centrality of the gospel. She's bearing something. She's bearing the marks i know a man who stays in a painful and broken marriage not for the kid's sake as they say but because he is trying to evidence the gospel in his wife's life that's bearing marks friends all around us today and in the world there are people who bear the marks of christ and to the world it looks foolish and even shameful And if you are in the midst of that, as I expect you are, thank you for showing the world that what matters to God is not what matters to the world. We're not trying to live lives of conventional wisdom. We're trying to live with Jesus' righteousness. If you're in the midst of that suffering, please stay in the fight. And let a brother or sister in Christ help you bear that weight. That's why we are here in community like this. And here's, here's the thing. Ours is a radical new reality because of what Jesus did. And the reward's coming. The reward is coming. So, here's the things. Our sufferings hard as they may be in ways that I don't even pretend to understand and describe what that looks like for you they are of far greater worth than the external markings of the Judaizers than the external markings that were being demanded of the Christians in Galatia those folks who were demanding those things they were so fixated on the rules that they missed the whole game they missed the fact that the game had already been won right, by the real MVP Jesus Remember, our actions don't make us Christians, but once we are, God's spirit within us will bear fruit. And fundamentally, the work of the cross, it's internal. It's not external. And that's easy to forget, because if you're like me, you want to know what you can do. What boxes can I check? How might I achieve something that's valuable to God? Or you beat yourself up and you say, God couldn't possibly love me because I'm so dirty, And neither of these is true. It's because I have nothing to offer that Christ offered himself. It's because we're so dirty that he washes us clean with the blood of Christ. So the only thing that we can do is put our faith in what God mercifully did for us. He sent Jesus to die on the cross. He has done the good hard work. And now we are privileged to bear the marks of Jesus for eternity. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, by your mercy, Christ came, not to bind us and saddle us with more laws and rules, but rather to crucify sin and loose the chains put on us by the law. Lord, what the Son has set free is free indeed. Would you put people in our lives who can orient us to Christ, Help us keep from adding anything to the work that you did through Jesus. Your word tells us that there's nothing we did to earn our salvation and there's nothing we can do that you can't overcome. And so we say thank you. We want to be a church that truly says Jesus is all. Amen.